Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 511 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Amanda McLaughlin. Amanda is the CEO, founder, and all-around awesome creator of Multitude, which is a fantastic podcast company, but uh, so much more than that. We'll talk about it uh, much more on the podcast. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. She is a total badass, and this was such a delight. I hope everybody's doing well, and I'll talk to you next week. Am I looking at a, a like a succulent pillow back there? You sure are. My That's friend, Eric, really satisfying. Um, who you were on Tell Me About It with uh, with Eric and Adel Rafai. That's my husband. Yes, I was. Um, and he got it for me uh, for Hanukkah. And I've never loved an inanimate object more. Oh, it's it's. I, I don't blame you at all. I'm very envious and very impressed. And uh, good 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 on you. Good yeah. on you. Uh, his and name good is Jeremy, him. and I cannot kill him by overwatering. <laughs> Are you an overwaterer? Uh, I'm an enthusiastic plant parent, and Me too. I also don't have a lot of light in my Brooklyn apartment, so uh, the lower light plants tend to be more successful for me. Hmm. Yeah, lower light. That's that has been the bane for me. Also, like I think I've sort of figured out most of the rest of like caring for plants, yeah. but. Um, even plants that I see that that say like don't even worry about it. You know what? They hate light. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I still feel like there are places in my house where that that's not true. Like they like it proves to be not true. Yeah, my I always thought that my grandmother was like a mysterious and wonderful gardener, which she is. But then I also went to her house um, recently and realized like, oh, you have skylights. That um, uh, that really that really gives you of all plants so much more light than a window because you know yes. what the sun the sun is up there and having yeah. <laughs> having a skylight makes it so much I felt like an idiot I was like how have I never noticed this before <laughs> yeah I feel like skylights are I mean a they're kind of rare and b was there like an era where everyone was doing skylights like was, were people putting skylights in in the eighties or something where it was just like suddenly that was that felt like a duh for everyone, but then there are like ups and downs to having skylights that maybe people weren't realizing. So it went back to not being a thing that happens all the time. I don't know. I think so. And they've certainly had many a leak and a problem from the skylights, uh, but her plants are um, are thriving. thriving. But yeah, they, they I think, did a, like remodel in the early 80s and it, it's very geometric, you know, very like of an 80s yeah. uh, piece. Yeah. Does she have any glass cube like walls? Yes, in her bathroom. Does and, she? Yes. Just We've, like we're nailing it. I feel like we're really Sherlocking this thing out. Exactly. To the time, the exact time period. Exactly. No, it's it's amazing. There was like a little pass through, like half window separating yep. one room from the other. Yeah, you you're really onto it. We're there. We've made it. We've made it. I'm gonna try to avoid the extremely tempting, which I don't believe I've ever done before. Like, so you're an overwaterer, eh? Does that mean you're more apt to smother your friends than ignore them? I mean, yes, Janet. Yes. <laughs> People pleasers, overwaterers. It's a circle, baby. It's a circle. Save, save, save. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it's a, it's like a sad, there's something very sad about like the sort of, um, rite of passage of finding out that you can water a plant too much because it feels, like it shouldn't be true. It feels like you should be like, they always want water and love mm-hmm. and water equals love. So I should just always be giving them little drinks and that that's going to make them happy and keep them hydrated. Like, oh, no, there's all all different ways you can mess up a plant. Yeah, I guess it's better than learning that from sort of, you know, petting an animal too hard as a child. <laughs> um, I grew up without pets. And so like loving my stuffed animals too much until they, yeah. you know, leaked uh, stuffing <laughs> was kind of my uh, my issue. But yeah, it's it's very true. So where did you grow up this people pleaser that you were as a youngster and as a teenager? I grew up in the suburbs of New York City on Long Island, home oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy Joel, the Nassau Coliseum, and the Long Island Ducks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm the oldest of four kids uh, and spent a lot of my childhood taking care of the younger ones before I discovered high school theater and took care of a bunch of my peers instead. 
Uh huh. <laughs> what is that conversation like when you are when you are sort of arriving at babysitting age, like actual true babysitting age, to be like parents? Uh uh-uh. uh. You know, I I have a life now. Yeah, it worked out very well. I really had to sell it to them sort of through the guise of like this will look good on my college transcripts like don't you want me to get into a good college and look like a leader smart this is exactly the logic that it took to allow them to have me do unpaid labor for like a theater program instead of their own home but i do uh-huh. remember watching like the babysitter like reading the babysitter's club or, or watching some mary kate and ashley um tv show or made for tv movie and being like wait other kids get paid for this shit like i'm doing this every day i'm making four to five beds a day and other people get paid for that like what why are these children making their own beds i also had to unmake the beds so my youngest two siblings are twins six years younger than me they just turned 25 which i i cannot believe and at night one of my tasks was to unmake their beds every few days i was turned down service yeah i was like why is this happening why am i doing this why am i making them in the first place they're tall enough they can grasp objects they can Uh you know do lots of things they can make lots of messes uh why can't they make a mess of their yeah. own bed by getting into it at night. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I my mom was the oldest of four, and I think that she fell into that very much so, especially because her youngest sibling was 13 years younger. Wow. She was like the surprise baby. Yeah. And so she fell into that a lot, and then she, and she was, she did sort of end up de facto babysitting a lot. Um, and it's interesting, like, it sort of makes you wonder if, yeah, that older, because I'm an only child, so I don't know, but that older, that oldest sibling thing sort of like takes the place of like a certain level of um, parental ruling and like, you know, enforcement of those rules. Like if if there's a buffer between who maybe will just do it, even if the littlest kids don't, that it's like, oh, well, we didn't have to crack down on this because somebody did it. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, I unpack that in therapy on, on the weekly, but I, I can't be too <laughs> mad because I think this this is also in my personality. Like even before, you know, the other kids were born, you know, I was a, a wound up kind of anxious child. I would like rotate my stuffed animals, you know, in and out of my bed. So nobody got jealous of the other ones, Aww. like making sure each of them got equal, you know, playing time yeah. basically on the field. Um, and it, you know, now that we're all adults and my siblings are, you know, establishing their own like lives and careers and you know have partners and things like that it is very gratifying to they actually just their birthday was uh, a couple days ago as we're recording this one of them posted on social media kind of a photo of me being like my second mom and it it feels really nice to you know to have that amount of acknowledgement and I also get to say now as an adult like you can figure that out you know like we are we are now equal (laughs) brokers in this relationship yeah yeah that's very sweet that's very sweet my second mom I mean, no one has, I, yeah, I'm tried, like, I definitely didn't have that. Nobody would say that I was like their backup mom. Even now, I feel like, because now, because once you're a certain age, then you really move into like fun aunt mode. And, um, and so I'm living comfortably in that place with, uh, with a lot of friends' kids. But one of them recently, uh, just last week, was like, Can you be my babysitter? And I was like, No. <laughs> I nope. love it. Like I don't want that responsibility. I was very and she's 8, so I was it was I was very I was able to be very honest with her like, you know what I mean? I you don't have to like she's she's at the age where she gets it enough that yeah. I and I talk to her like a person. I'm not like talking to her, you know, like she's my age, but I talked to her like a person. And I was like, "Here's the thing. Like I'm friends with your parents. I'm friends with you. I love spending time with both of you." I love I will totally spend time with you by yourself, but I am not telling you when to go to bed. I don't want that responsibility. Like, I just don't want that. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to do that. And uh, she was like, I get it. I do get it. So. <laughs> That's a level of self-awareness that I am really envious of. And I think another thing that only child, only children really developed that at least I never got was, was like being funny. Like, I feel like I totally did not have the opportunity to be like the precocious little oh, kid no. in the room. That's a new privilege. I have to be more aware no, of no, no, just no, being no. an only child who could be funny. A consequence, a consequence, because like, I feel sometimes that I should have like bullied my siblings more to sort of like help them, you know, like develop resilience in the sure. world. And again, just like not at all the way I looked at the world. I spent most of my child years into my teens being like, Ugh, nobody look yeah. at me. I know that, you know, comedy is something that develops out of like needing to amuse yourself or hanging out with a lot of adults. Sure. And that's a, a thing I'm, I'm envious of. What was your involvement in theater if you was, were you like, don't look at me in real life, but when I can sort of transform myself on stage, that feels like 
that's the time, the agreed upon time for at which you will look at me? Or are you more of a behind the scenes theater kid? Stage manager exclusively and only. Uh, I was the the soccer mom of the theater group. Uh You really did? Yeah. So when you said you went to take care of your friends and your it's classmates, true. you really meant it in a more literal way than I took it. In a very That's literal amazing. way. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. That's an amazing <laughs> A to B. It's quite wonderful. That's like, okay. So you were like, I know how to herd cats. I know how to yeah. get people I care about to do what I need them to do to have a successful day. Honey, your blood sugar is low. Here's a granola I know, bar. Yeah, I know yeah. how to unmake the proverbial bed of theater. <laughs> exactly. I think the sort of parentified child to stage manager pipeline is well established. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really safe way, I think, to like relate to other kids my age. And I think, yeah. you know, the arts bring this sort of certainty and a role where you can really fit in and like know exactly how I'm sure people who play sports feel the same way, right? We're like, you know how you yeah. fit in, you know how you relate, you're part of a whole. And for me being able to this is my job and as I watch my friends do the showy and flashy and like exciting stuff up on the stage I am like proverbially literally behind the scenes like in the wings calling the lighting cues making sure that like they're illuminated as they do their thing it brought me a lot of satisfaction and you know to some degree I I try to do that in my in my career now I was gonna say you certainly are still behind the scenes in some ways but will you tell folks like sort of where you fit into the network and kind of what different things that you do, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a fancier way than I need to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a complex ecosystem, like making a living online and doing, you know, podcasting specifically. I run a podcast collective called Multitude, which I created in 2017, where basically we help other podcasters make a living. And so we do things like, you know, support them through marketing and advice and growth and technical, you know, support like editing and also sell ads for all of those shows and a number of other podcasts where, you know, the podcasters are really good at their jobs. They run a show. They know how to make it. They do all those steps and need someone to kind of help do that final bit of, you know, helping them make some money through ads. In addition to making shows for like big companies and doing consulting, running classes, we are truly like running a small business in digital media, which is not a thing that there are a lot of examples for and trying to do it in a way that's, you know, ethical, prioritizes audiences and their trust and making sure hosts, you know, have full control and like literal IP ownership over the shows that they make. So that is what I spend my days doing is in a way like I describe it as as midwifery sometimes of like helping, you know, birth creative projects into the world and like, you know, set them off on their feet and, and watch them succeed. That's wonderful. Yeah. How did that come about for you? Like what was the I mean, often with stuff like that, there's a sort of first need exposed that then sort of grows from a seed a seedling. We'll go back to plants because that's a comfort oh, yeah. zone for both of us, yet also an anxiety zone for both of us. <laughs> the seedling, was there a specific piece of that that sort of made itself known to you first? Or did you have a kind of holistic idea of what multitude would be with your compatriots like from the beginning? It's very much grown to serve the needs that we see in ourselves and then realize that other people have as well. So, you know, I to take it all the way back, I've been like an internet kid, you know, my whole life. We got dial up when I was, you know, probably seven or eight. And I was like on age inappropriate forums, you know, hanging out, <laughs> like making friendships. Uh. And before, you know, finding that that theater group in high school, um, you know, all my friends and to, you know, to the current day, a, a large amount of the people who were like in my wedding and who I text every day, I originally met online um, at first mm. on, you know, forums, then on YouTube when video blogging became a thing in 2006 and seven and eight, um, and then into podcasting in the early 2010s. Um, and so that's just to say that, like, I have known my whole life that online friendships are real, online communities are powerful, and nobody knows this, I think, better than than podcasters. And so when um, I was starting my first podcast in 2015 with my best friend from kindergarten, Julia, um, all about mythology and folklore. As we got that podcast spirits off the ground, we were realizing like, oh my goodness, at first a few hundred people and then a few thousand people were listening to us each week. We're like, oh my God, like what is the next step? You know, we we love this. We've connected in some way. We really want to sort of, you know, displace our shitty day jobs and do this full time. And it was honestly that like other people didn't believe and sort of give gravitas and respect to the work we were doing in the community we were building in a way that we felt matched what we saw. And so if other networks didn't want to sign us, okay, I'll make a collective of my own. If other ad sales agencies say like, "Mm, 
you know, you're kind of too small for us or like come back to us when you're bigger or the size of like X celebrity podcast. I'm like, okay, this can't be that hard. Like, let me figure it out. And that really has been every step along the way of, you know, there's a real dearth of like mentorship and, um, you know, and help for people getting into the industry. So we started doing free consulting for people who are historically excluded from the audio industry. We, you know, can't find affordable classes to like level up your editing or, you know, learning how to make money. So we made them and trying to make the kind of industry we want to be a part of and help those who are coming up behind and alongside us has really been the animating force. But the real answer is a fair amount of spite. And like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure I can show you that this actually (laughs) does have value. And uh, it's great fuel. I always envy that because I don't think I do great with motivational spite. Um, And I wish I would. What is your typical reaction when you feel spite? Oh, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure you're right. You see the real me. Yes, absolutely. And then I think I take time from that feeling to allow the possibility that that might not be true. Mm. That's not to say um, that's an exaggeration. Like for sure, for sure, if someone is critical of me now, especially as I've gotten older, but like when I was your age, I feel like I was still very kind of like, even if I thought I belonged somewhere, if it seemed like I was unwelcome there, really had to have a hard conversation with myself about whether or not it was worth being uncomfortable or feeling judged or feeling excluded and having to push through all of that. I think, you know, I was just listening to someone talking about this. I guess it probably wasn't a podcast (laughs) because I am a avid consumer of podcasts, but of the sort of like cliche of learning conflict resolution and learning conflict. It was probably... Oh, God. Was it a podcast? Was it a podcast I was doing? This is very bad. (laughs) Everything has bled together now. And I don't remember if I myself was part of the conversation. That's okay. I have often said to somebody, oh, a friend told me or oh, I read. And then I realized that I just like heard someone I don't know say it on a podcast. Yes. That's a good thing. I, that just shows how personable and important exactly. and wonderful and intimate podcasts are. Yes. But yeah, the, the idea of like not having conflict resolution, probably, you know what? It might have been Hodgman. It might have been John Hodgman because we were both only children. But just the idea of, yeah, like that kind of isolation is not necessarily great for understanding that things are going to get uncomfortable between people who care about each other. Yeah. Peers, not parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not parents and kids. In a very intimate setting where... It's not your friend who can just get mad at you and then ignore you for two weeks. Like it's someone in your family that you have to learn to compromise with or live with. And so I was very afraid of I was just afraid of conflict because I felt like it was the end of the world. I just felt like it was the end of the world. And so I think that is a benefit to being in a family and for you getting to see your own dynamic being the first kid and then seeing how those sorts of things fall into place or find their way in that family dynamic. I have so much respect for that because I think I was very fearful of like that horror that just there's so much that we hold that's like dichotomous inside of us, right? Like feeling both that and I think a lot of people feel this way in the arts. Feeling both like you're better than a bunch of stuff that's out there, <laughs> but also no one will care and no one will like you and you can't be there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like this weird Like, what about just being in the middle and going, I'm not that great, but I'm also great enough to be here instead of, I think I'm both too brilliant for this and an idiot. Like, yeah, no, you're you're totally have that. You know, why do you have to have those opposing forces that those voices that are so loud that aren't doing you any favors because they're both kind of stopping you instead of like coming together to create a harmony that allows you to take chances and believe in yourself and find that inner strength and all that kind of stuff. Totally. And I think, you know, to our to our credit, there is a reason why I think we feel this way, which is, you know, whether you are a professional like actor, stand up, you know, podcaster, digital creator, a lot of your ability to make a living depends on people liking what you're doing. And so there are like real economic consequences to people, you know, yeah. finding you likable, finding you worthy of support, you know, taking risks on you like your your personal brand like we all cringe or I cringe at least when I hear words like brand used as it relates to stuff that we make online or even the word content it's real and thinking about you know will this person who is in charge of booking right or like this person at the network in charge of signing new shows or the audience whose you know monthly contributions like help me pay my rent those are all real and really respond to you know do people like me or not like for me the idea that I once had a job where I wasn't in charge of like finding the money to pay my own paycheck is is now like a distant memory. But at the same time, yeah. you know, during COVID and during, you know, the like recession, you know, rumors and things now, no one's going to lay me off, you know, and like nobody is going to come and say like, mm, we're actually pivoting away from your whole vertical to do mm. Facebook video. Like that is, those no. are the, the thoughts that sort of keep me warm and motivated because 
all of the all of the pros come with their own cons, you know, and sure, you know, at least in thinking about this and talking about it with my husband, Eric, we're like, we, we you know, we work together, we live together, we quit our jobs in the same month to do multitude full time five years ago. Now, all of the things that make it challenging are the things that make it worth it. How I sit with that feeling, you know, and like finding new sources of joy in my life and all of that, you know, is is stuff that um, I am working on. But I, I definitely had the experience growing up of screaming, I hate you at my sister. And then, you know, a couple hours later playing together. Like it's, it's a good reminder, yeah. I think, and a, a humbling reminder that, you know, we say often that there are no podcast emergencies, uh, because it's a useful sort of reminder of like, yes. the, the relative importance of what we do. But also that, you know, these are things I really care about. And I, because I feel so strongly about them, because my fear is so big about what if things go wrong? What if all the people who depend on me, you know, have misplaced their bets? That means I care. And that means that it matters, you know, and like that, yeah. that anxiety I'm, I'm trying to see as a a real kind of like evidence of my care and not just yes a foreboding feeling in my stomach okay we're gonna take a break i will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at maximum fun are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig around a room of people do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person us too she's alexis b preston she's ella mcleod and we host comfort creatures the show where you can't talk about your pets too much animal trivia is our love language and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs tune into comfort creatures every thursday on maximum fun That's the other thing that kind of comes up for me, for those of us who maybe, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's age or just like lack of, you know, sort of technical accessibility or what have you, who didn't spend their teen years online and those who did, I think that's another thing that comes up for folks who didn't is this sort of sense of like how much of the negativity that we see so often now with the social media platforms that exist in the exact form that they do in the moment and for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever, Mm -hmm. like how does that sort of create this like nice thick skin if you've been online earlier and you've been in forums where people just start telling each other that they're like bad people because they, for example, love one character over another character on a show. I mean, that's like a, obviously that's a fan forum example, but it exists like, we all know that that exists. So, but you're but you're having the positive effects of of finding those communities too. How much of the sort of negative? My sister isn't right in front of me. We don't know each other. We're not face to face, and we don't have to necessarily be saying hello to each other the next morning. Mm-hmm. Did you did, like? Were you exposed to that when you were a teenager? It's a great question. I think that the the role I took on in my family and in you know high school theater is like a problem solver and. It has taken me a long time into my living on my own to realize that like problems or other people being uncomfortable or myself being uncomfortable is not like an emergency and probably isn't my fault. Or if it is my fault, then it's an opportunity to be like, okay, like what went wrong here? Like, how can I, you know, how can I make amends? What can I do next? I'm great at problem solving, but you cannot problem solve your own feelings and you cannot problem solve, you know, the fact that like, things will hurt one day that anything worth doing is, you know, has potential risk involved um, and all of that. And it's been like a conscious choice of mine and a reminder that I've had to, you know, go back to again and again and have tattooed on me and things like that, you know, that uh, no feeling is final, like feeling bad isn't fatal. And building a life to optimize against pain is, is not actually what makes me happiest. I am very grateful that like I had the opportunity to, you know, put myself out there pseudonymously, uh, because, you know, I came of age kind of before Facebook and, and social media to post fanfic to live journal and to do like outfit of the day posts on Instagram or on Tumblr at that time. And, you know, make friends and just try things out and like play in a way that felt safe. Because, you know, to your yeah. point, I'm not like taking a risk and showing some like, weird, deeply geeky part of myself to a kid at school who can then like, go off a few hours later and be like, mm, Amanda said that she really likes the Pendragon series and like, blah, 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 uh-huh. you know, <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I read this many books this year. Yeah. In some ways, it, it, it was yeah. safer. And it was great to be able to like meet my peers to, you know, pretend to be a different name or person or grow up in Chicago instead of New York and like all these little yeah, kind of yeah. make believe, you know, that felt really freeing. And uh, 
now making those connections and investing in those relationships where I will see you next week at synagogue. I will see you tomorrow in Slack. You know, I will see you in the podcast community meetup that we're having in a couple of months. Those things have more meaning to me in my own family and, you know, in life as well, where it really does count. But it also brings a lot more meaning that I can yeah. you know, have a, a history of a couple decades to look back on somebody with or to say, you know what, you annoyed me when this happened, right? Or like this thing you said was kind of sitting with me the wrong way. Like, let's hash it out. Those are the times in my life when I feel the most obliquely terrified, where it truly yeah. does feel that like everything will be coming down around me. And if I had the option to like force quit the application and like bounce out of there and make a new <laughs> pseudonym like I totally would but a lot of my journey has been you know realizing that those things are not possible accepting that and then saying to myself you know why why does this make me so uncomfortable how can I move past it what does that discomfort signify and just kind of getting more evidence under my belt that I can have conflict with somebody and and nothing will die and that some conflicts are actually really worth having I love that I'm wondering too for you so because you because there are guests I've had on who have kind of more exclusively felt like they fit in in online environments when they were in high school and really had kind of a strong sense of gosh I'm just I'm just ready for high school to be over because I know that there's something else waiting for me out there and part of where I've seen that has been with these these relationships that I've built online And then some folks didn't have that and just kind of had this like, you know, whatever their experience in high school was, they seem to have those those intimacies happening more right in front of them. And then you sound like you kind of had both because you found high school theater. And so were you like what were you dating or did you have uh, relationships happening in both spheres? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying at the same time or that there had to be even more than one in high school. But uh, did you have that happening? Like interest happening in in both the physical and the sort of metaphysical senses? A great question. And I I could talk for ages about online (laughs) dating when you're not supposed to be online dating in a a forum for Neopets or, you know, like Captain Uh America, the movie. I was absolutely not dating or saw myself as a a person, you know, who could even do those things when I was in high school. I was a closeted bisexual person and in love with my gay best friend who was also closeted IRL. It felt like my online life was, you know, was more about my interests and, you know, my intellectual passions and kind of the me that I wanted to be in the way that I I think a lot Mm -hmm. of us fantasize about, you know, like you were saying, once I'm out of high school, once I move, once I go to college, once I, you know, start a new job, then like I can be the real me without the sort of context. But what I would have said at the time is like baggage of, you know, how people have perceived me up until now. All my early relationships were people I met online, usually from the like YouTube video blogging community. It was in some ways really nice to sort of meet people on my own terms. That that really is how it felt as I would during the day at school, like fit in in those ways. I was mistaken for a substitute teacher a lot just because of like, I'm like a tall person. I had like a short kind of soccer mom haircut and, you know, would like wear scarves. <laughs> how tall are you? I'm 5'10". But I'm, okay, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you had the same thing. I just like presented much older than uh-huh. than what I was. And so, and, and also I think carried an air of authority, which I tried to make yeah. useful to my peers by, for example, saying, oh, the sub's not here five minutes in. I'm the sub now. Like we're all free, <laughs> which was, the, you know, the, the, the small kind of social <laughs> currencies that I use. Um, yeah. Which was really fun using the staff bathroom occasionally. You know, there are real benefits to it. (laughs) But then online, I could go home and, you know, post a YouTube video about my thoughts on like, the Great Gatsby, right? Or like some movie that was coming out. I had no business talking about politics in Iran or like great literature when I was, you know, 15, 16. But it was so freeing to be able to present myself as I wanted to be. And so again, I think the, the trick now is like, making some kind of um, of middle ground where the things that feel really meaningful in, you know, my marriage and in my friendships and in the relationships with my peers at Multitude where, you know, we have worked together, some of us for like six and seven years at this point, is that context of not being able to, to rush into a new room and say, hey, I'm an expert in these things or hey, I'm defined by this interest or, you know, this is how I'm dressing now. I figured out my personal style. Now you see me as a stylish person. It's like, uh, no, no, no. I'm a huge dork and nerd who like now yeah. has an overall and cropped sweater outfit that really works for me. Those uh-huh. things are more meaningful. And the, the you know, the growth, the mistakes, like the, the change over time 
is the thing that I find a lot of meaning and, and understanding in. And in fact, that mm. is, I really admire like the courage and naivete of my younger self for doing those things. Like I, I can barely post a tweet these days without reading it 10 times and being like, oh, is this worthwhile? Like, should I be saying this? Like, are people going to like don't this? don't you think that part of that is like the climate as well as who you yourself are? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, is that, isn't that part of it? Because I feel like that's, there's more attention now to like, this could really matter that it is didn't exist then it is and and on like i it, it's really important to me that i kind of add to the space that i'm in and so you know again maybe because i like have no sense of humor and i like take myself very seriously you know that i i'm not just like busted in with a joke for no reason but on the other hand i you know podcast talking about things i have no idea about and like playing Dungeons and Dragons on Join the Party, our actual play podcast. My first game of D&D was like the day before we started recording the podcast. Like I I was a total novice on mic and on my show Spirits. My best friend Julia is the expert and I am like the the lay person there to hear the story and ooh and ah and like show my own, give my own kind of reactions in the moment. And it's actually been really freeing to like be explicitly hmm. the novice and like the dum-dum and the person who doesn't understand these yeah. references to like... I also feel very comfortable right. in that space. So I want to tell yeah. you, yes. No, it, it is, you know, not to like toot my own horn too much. It is very exciting. Like the compliments I get from listeners are, you know, that stick with me over the years or like, you know, hearing you learn on mic helps me feel less weird yes. about like learning. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. like talking about the things I've gotten wrong about the, you know, the stuff I'm learning, the, you know, mistakes that I made five years ago in podcasting and like aren't repeating now. That's the stuff where I feel actually the most like confident in myself being like, hey, look at this pile of garbo that I tried, you know, here are the lessons I <laughs> I took away from it. Let's try something new. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe that's, you know, a coping mechanism or a, a societal role that I'm happy to fulfill. But I think high school me who was really invested in, you know, like being quote unquote smart and like high achieving and in honors programs and, you know, getting into a good college, all of that. I think she'd be really surprised. And once she understood proud and also baffled about the, you know, the things I talk about every, every week, because like to your point, you know, unlike a single tweet or a, you know, a a post that could be taken out of context or, you know, or seen without the context of the person, podcasts are really special because you form a, a relationship with the hosts over time. You understand the guys of the the show and the person, the conversation, what they're saying, what they're thinking. Like I think this podcast, like you, you know what guests are coming on to talk about. And so you get to kind of meet them on the same premise in the same mm-hmm. context, which leads to being vulnerable, talking about tough stuff, like making real, I think, moments in a way that even like a reported podcast where we hear, you know, for a few seconds or a few minutes from different people to build one story that the reporter thought of. Um you know, those are lovely. And I and I listen to a lot of them. But the podcast that I really love and the conversations that stick with me are really, you know, like knowledge unfolding in real time between people of mm. themselves of a subject of the world, a story from Mesopotamian mythology. It's talking in the moment and learning in public that I think makes podcasting so special and what I love to, you know, spend my time doing. You have given my podcast so much dignity by virtue of like <laughs> putting it into those terms and but but that I feel very much the same way. I'm glad that you said it the way you said it because there is something scary about putting that much of yourself out there but but you're right. If something does happen or something's taken out of context, you also have the benefit to your point of having so much out there that if somebody chooses to take something extra contextually and doesn't care about like everything else you've put out into the world, there's nothing you can do about that. And it, you have the virtue, the, the virtue of being able to say, you know, well, there's more of me out there than that. And you can draw your own conclusion about what kind of person I am if you're willing to give that give that opportunity versus like I barely tweet. I tweeted one thing. It got taken out of context. And it's kind of the only thing people have to hold on to to like make a judgment call about where my heart was when I tweeted it or whatever. So there's like something very, there's a gift in being vulnerable and available regularly, I think too, that maybe I don't, I don't like, maybe I don't let that be a cushion as often as, as I should, or as we should, those of us who do, who are content creators to throw that term out there for you. In fact, 
I'm going to make it even worse for you by saying, I've heard you casually name drop a lot of franchises, everyone else's <laughs> favorite word when they're talking about beautiful art that's been made that becomes its own kind of identity and community. Oh, yeah, our replicable um, cinematic uh, universe of intellectual property. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Janet's on the floor. Yep. It's so, it's so hard to, it's so hard to reconcile those things. But having no, because the fact that you, that you casually did and I didn't like stop anywhere and say, oh, okay, wait, hold on because is that what you were into when you were a teenager can you give me a little bit more on kind of where you were what you were seeking out online and and where those friendships were happening and what you were an enthusiast of that was like met on tumblr and all that good stuff totally yeah i'm i'm absolutely a product of uh, a fandom and I had no friends, but lots and lots of books until I was, you know, like 13 or 14 and then in charge of their rehearsal schedules um, as a stage manager. Uh-huh. So um, the honestly, I think I really gravitated toward series because I didn't want the books to end. Like I, I did all yeah. of my, you know, like exploring and friendship yes. making and, and, you know, self-discovery through reading. Um, mm-hmm. My my parents and grandma were great about like bringing me to libraries and to bookstores. Then when I discovered you could like read stuff online and even more, like even though my favorite book was over, read people's thoughts and feelings and fan fiction about that universe. Yeah, I'm like, stay in oh, it. Stay man. in that space. Yes, like, yeah. I never have to leave. Sure. This is perfect. The Star Trek movies got me into the Star Trek universe, the 2009 J.J. Abrams remake, actually. So that was a, a late fandom edition for me. Um, gotcha. But the the universe of Star Trek was so, like, interesting and compassionate and, you know, like, had queer people in it. Like, I, I loved all of that. I was very into, you know, like, fantasy and all of those mainstays. Obscure series by, like, you know, Diana Wynne-Jones. And she's not obscure, right? But there's one called the Pendragon series. There's Garth Nix wrote the. You dropped it. You dropped it. I picked yep, it back thank up. You. That's why we're talking about it. Love thank it. You. Um, uh, <laughs> I always said Sabriel, but the Australian writer Garth Nix calls it the Sabriel series. Those were all worlds where I was able to really find compatriots and people who were really excited, and more broadly, just you know, writing, doing NaNoWriMo, doing my own original. I spent lots of time role playing on the Neopets forums as like random, you know, like elf in medieval times or you know like shopkeeper in you know renaissance times those worlds i just stood out to me so much and i loved as well as i was fortunate to sort of be born in the right time to come of age with the growth of YA literature as a genre. I remember yeah. when I was like 10 or 11, sort of running out of like middle grade and like kids books and being like, all right, mom, like I need, I like, I've literally like, I've, I've read them all in the library. Like, where do I go next? And she's like, uh, all these have sex in them. Like, I don't know where to send you. And so fantasy was the reason where even though some of those books do have sex in them, someone gave me a copy of Wicked by Gregory Maguire way too early. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, fantasy was a little bit safer than like adult memoir or whatever. YA fiction of the, you know, Maureen Johnson and David Levithans of the world were all sort of getting their extensions and contracts and becoming prolific as I was hitting, you know, 12, 13, and 14. So those are really the worlds. And I have lots of love still for, you know, scripted series and, you know, British TV I was really into. My dad is Irish American. And so growing up, we'd watch lots of like British and Irish soaps and like, you know, Monty Python and things that made me feel really cultured um, as a, you know, New Mm -hmm. Yorker and American teen. Sure. (laughs) As well as Broadway. There's a lot. There's like a, a thriving fandom, of course, of Broadway and the Broadway shows that I was taking the train into the city, you know, to like get student rush tickets to um, in, yeah. in the early 2000s. So that's kind of my my milieu. Um, I was able to like. That's a lot. That's very diverse. Yeah. No, it, it, anything I could get my hands on, any world I could live in, you know, any any characters I could you know, give my thoughts and feelings about who they should kiss. That's what I was doing when I was a teen. <laughs> Yeah, that's always a good place to start. If you're if you if you don't know what conversation to have about something that you love, you can always dive into shipping right away and see where it takes you from there. Exactly. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Wow, Emily, we've been doing this podcast for 10 years. I know, but hey, don't worry. You can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff. Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right. Trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. Just kidding. (laughs) 
Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything, but we're a good hang. Baby Geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. Baby geniuses, tell something we don't know. I want to get into this mash game with you. Yes. Uh, particularly since we just got to touch on a bunch of stuff that you love or loved. So why don't we start there with let's do like a book series that you would love to be able to jump into and just be in that space. You're not reliving the plot. You're just like that's your access to that world whenever you want it. Let's do His Dark Materials, The Golden Compass, uh, Philip right. Pullman series. I'm an English major and a huge dork. So Moby Dick is a book that I love to revisit. Amazing. And... Oh, can we do the um, the Scott Pilgrim graphic novel series? No, oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay. Next one, let's do three places in the world that you would love to have a getaway home, even if that's in a bustling city. Uh, and we can sort of teleport you there. You don't have to worry about the travel. Oh, totally. Uh, London, where I spent semester abroad in college and saw three nice. plays a week. Uh, and I bet. Yeah, and met a lot of my uh, European YouTuber friends. Um, let's do uh, upstate New York, the Adirondack Mountains. My oh, grandma yeah. lives um, lives in Lake Placid, New York, and it is the the place where my heart is happiest. Yes. God, I'm sure. And, and then, yeah. Uh, how about mm-hmm. how about Hawaii? My devilish baby sister moved to Hawaii after high school and adopted a pit bull and has never been happier or tanner. And I'm very jealous and would love to visit her more. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, it's a different haul. It's a haul from L.A. It is a serious commitment from New York. Um, Yeah. Which I'm very envious of of being able to get to Europe easily from New York. So I got to really hold on to the... The heading west that is handy from the West Coast. Exactly. Yeah. There there were there was a, a real uh, heyday before like online flight searching got really competitive where I got a couple like two hundred dollar round trip tickets to like oh, Amsterdam or whatever uh, when I was in college yeah. and visited lots of uh, YouTube friends. Um, but not not the case any longer. Well, yeah, I know. Boy flying good thing neither one of us are stand-up comedians or we would just have like an hour's worth of jokes about how awful flying is now um, my husband did okay, recently category- watch all of seinfeld um his first oh, time yeah. i was like watching him watch it like through his earbuds like without sound they spend more time with their parents and in cabs than i ever expected like there's there's the apartment great but like they're they're cutting up with george's parents a lot and that's not a thing i knew from just like cultural osmosis i mean i'm sure i like have i seen all episodes of seinfeld at one time or another Probably not. I probably haven't fully like completed the catalog. Yeah. But even just watching other people watch it, I had the same experience where I'm like, wow, another cab. <laughs> another like weird cab backdrop on a studio yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, that's really funny. Uh, okay, next one. Let's do three foods that in this reality, maybe, you know, you just eat too much of it and it makes you feel sick or you have an allergy or it feels ecologically irresponsible or it's a thing that you had in Amsterdam this one time that you wish you could have access to all the time. Three foods you would love to have in perpetuity, snap of your fingers. whenever. Yeah, uh, cheese. I'm lactose intolerant. And uh, man, great. cheese is great and I miss it. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. The second would be very expensive and sustainably farmed beef. Uh, love a love right. a good steak, and I, I like to buy you know organic grass fed as a treat. That would be great. And my last one would be this might come out of left field, but I would love nothing more than like an endless supply of fresh lime juice on tap in my home. Oh. I cook a lot of like Thai food. Um, yes. I drink a lot of like seltzer and like tequila sodas with lime. And yeah. that would just be, it would make me feel healthy to drink a lot of citrus juice, I think. I love it. I love it. And I will say, I was just having that conversation with someone recently thinking like, I don't think they're like, I'm hard pressed to come up with a new mommy better than Thai food when it's like lime, ginger, coconut. Yeah. Like all the herbs, all the peanut, bean sprouts. Yeah. Basil, cilantro. Like they use everything that's my favorite altogether. And nuts. I mean, it's just great. It's great. And that, so yeah, I, I, the lime juice thing, yes, out of left field. I support it. hundred percent. Uh, Next category, romantic interests. Let's get you three people you would like to have some sort of romance or sexy times with in uh, this alternate reality. You're not 
you're not committed to them for life. It could be a one night sure. stand. It could be a platonic marriage, whatever you want. Three characters, actors, dead people. We're bringing them back. Oh, we're bringing them back. Okay. Uh, Walt Whitman, American poet, fucks. Great. All of Walt Whitman's poetry is about how he's fucking or wants to fuck. Uh, queer <laughs> icon. And uh, yes. just like he writes poetry that's like, let me just like feel your chest hairs. Let me like lay down next yeah. to you with the grass and touch pinkies. And like he just seems like the most <gasps> yes. sensual person in the entire yeah, world. Sensual is a perfect word. And uh, I admire him greatly. I love his work. Multitude is named after a, a line of his. Uh, I think Walt would be an incredible platonic date uh, or, love it. you know, roll around in the uncut hair of graves. You know what I mean? Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, Give me two more. I don't know how you're going to top. Listen, you don't have to top anything. There's no topping. <laughs> it's just laying next to each other uh, on a field it's of grass. It's just laying next to each other. Um, That's right. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sarah Paulson. Um, so intrigued by her whole thing. I was such a fan of her relationship with Holland Taylor. And I, oh, yeah. I just... I, she she must have incredible game. You know what I mean? And I, I want to take yeah. some notes and, and learn from her. Yeah. That being said, I I, I did a play reading with Holland. Uh, and I wow. believe I mean, it was before Holland and, and Sarah were dating. I think she was Sarah was still with Cherry Jones. She is extremely magnetic Holland and Taylor. like very seductive. Yeah. yeah. Like whether it's just her listening to like really you really feel seen and heard by her. That in and of itself is very seductive. Um, yeah. And I felt myself being pulled in. I was like, Holland. <laughs> I mean, I've always loved Holland Taylor. Like, what's happening? Right I, now? I was really going back and forth over over which of that couple to name. No. Um, I think Sarah Paulson is just like has a fascinating <gasps> face that I would want to see in person. I have no Absolutely. doubt that if Holland Taylor like sneezed on me on the bus, I'd be like, yes, again, like whatever you want. You know, like, <laughs> gosh, that woman. Um, I yeah. watch a lot of. Yeah, they're both. I watch amazing. a lot of reality TV. Um, that's in my preferred like, you know, fandom now actually um it's like watching competition shows and cooking shows and big brother australia and like all you know all of these ridiculous uh-huh. shows um and i think just to say that like on love island especially love island uk the like highest compliment they can give somebody upon first meeting them is that they have good eye contact and at first i was like what like are people not looking at you in the club and so it's surprising to get looked at but like i get it like somebody making eye contact with you making you feel listened to and like observed i get it yeah 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 absolutely well you got sarah you got one left i think the one left is gonna be my uh musical theater um you know jewish crush it's andrew garfield great who I thought did such a great job in Tick, Tick, Boom, another yeah. early play, Love of Mine, just hot Jewish icon. I was really into the social network fandom before I really understood the depths of, uh, of Facebook's bad business practices. But that David Fincher movie, yeah. man, Andrew Garfield's performance, him and Zuckerberg, on, yes. him and, uh, and Jesse Eisenberg on the press circuit looking yeah. at each other. Oh, man, I'd never seen anything hotter when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Uh, next category. Let's do three alternate universe uh, careers. Oh, I think uh, I could be a really good stage manager. I think the stage manager. I have no doubt. Of, thank you. I think the stage manager of the kitchen is like being being the chef at the pass who is like calling the orders. I think I find that very satisfying. And finally, you know, as a as a like a big boned you know chubby kid, I got told very frequently that I'd be good at track and field. And so I'm going to say shot putter. I think shot put. Ooh, uh, those are athletes. Wonderful. Yeah, who I I think are incredible and throwing ball throwing heavy things far distances seems like a just way to know that you did your job well that day i love it i love it okay this just came up for me just thinking about kind of multitude and your interest in like kind of mentoring other people or just being available as a resource give me three individuals living or dead that you would love to take a weekend workshop with for something good question it could be so far afield from anything that you, you know, would you were like, I, you know, like for, you know, like, I don't know who the ceramicist is that I would want to take a weekend uh, pottery workshop from. But like, that's a chance to scratch a niche I've already had and get it with. Oh, I do know it would be um, uh, 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 Elsa. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, it's 1960s. Um, 
Potter. I have like three books on her and I'm just blanking on her name because that's what yeah. happens when you're talking on a podcast. Do you watch The Great Pottery uh, Throwdown? No. <gasps> have a lot of people told you about this? No. Great news. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's a BBC competition okay. show. And I'm pretty sure there are some seasons on of course it's HBO BBC. Max as well. The Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh, okay. Where lovely British civilians... Um, make ceramics and the judge i thought you were going to Wonderful. say the the head judge of that show is a guy called keith who is like the opposite uh-huh. of Paul hollywood where he is like very unglamorous doesn't take himself seriously and like weeps yeah. over like freely when pottery moves him um and so if i need a good cry that's the show i watch because a, right. i cannot they're all wait. so nice to each other b they're just making sweet little potteries you know and ceramics yeah. just like the show in their heart and then this guy is like the weight of this pot is really good and then he weeps and it's wonderful yeah great i'm in i'm so in i can't even tell you great. how i'm in so, i am so uh let's let's uh, say then keith from the great pottery throwdown yeah! um i think he would just make me great. feel really encouraged and good about myself uh when trying pottery love it i want to also say tony morrison which might be great. you know predictable as a person who loves books but uh she also balanced like a full-time career in publishing with creative pursuits for many many decades before writing full-time yes and i often feel that like you know tension or balancing act between like you know accounting and making stuff so i think that'd be really fun same very much same i totally get it and i totally agree and finally uh who would just be a good time who would be, uh, let's say, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, one of my favorite sure. bands and uh, a writer I really admire, someone whose brain I think is is just uh, incredible. And I just want to hang out yes. with him. Yes, I love it. A friendship workshop. Yes. Friendship workshop. Okay, final two categories. Uh, let's do next category. Uh, you get to, well, I now I want to hear your answer. I want to hear your answers on this. Uh you get to see a moment in time or an era in time oh. uh, in a safety bubble. You're observing, you're safe, uh, whether it's sort of, you know, seeing something with your own eyes and resolving a great mystery of life or something that is not a mystery at all, but just something you would love to witness with your oh, own yeah. eyes. Three places in time. Uh, incredible. I um, I would want to see the Library of Alexandria. I remember very clearly <sighs> learning about it and the fire when I was six or seven yes. and just having inconsolable sobs. Um at the loss of all those books. Uh, so that's yeah. that's one. I think the second one would be, oh, this is such a good question. How about the introduction of the railroad? I'm not sure if they're, I don't know if about train history to like tell you, maybe like the first train to roll into Grand Central or the old Penn Station. Great. That's a real uh, New York um, bee in my bonnet that they tore down the good Penn Station uh, and put a bad one in there. Yeah. So seeing seeing people see trains um, in my in my English major aside, we did a lot of like reading about theory and like people writing about writing and like what that's like. And one of the things I'll mm-hmm. never forget is this guy Schivelbach wrote about like, uh, the train moves too fast for brains, actually. And when you look out the train, you can't see things. And so when you're oh. like the human brain and body cannot adapt and like he was saying more sophisticated things about about like what what art would look like in those scenarios but i just remember reading yeah. like that was the first moment that me at you know 20 was like oh my god we've been here before and saying that like you know social media is breaking our brains we've done it already percent a thousand percent i could not agree more i love those comparisons being able to look back and go what does this remind me of or this will remind me of something if I can fi- if I know what it exactly. is. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's fantastic. Okay, what's number three? Okay, so I think I would like to see Cleopatra's parade. Oh, I read an amazing yes. book about Cleopatra recently where it was like, yeah, she sort of like she she burned expensive herbs no one had smelled before whenever she walked around. So people are like, oh my god, like like she used technology of spectacle and scent um yes. and like little yes. fireworks and dyes as well like wearing colors and ones like we all know that <sighs> rulers wear purple right stuff like that but she she like smelled yeah. like a smell no one had smelled before and that is the kind of shit that i think is incredible and just like seeing you know old world alexandria and like seeing her you know barge go up the river would be stunning yeah i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more amazing answers i want 
all of them. I'm going to steal all of these. Okay, and then final one. Let us do three. Well, listen, you brought up uh, the Mountain yeah. Goats. Let's do three bands or singer songwriters or composers, anybody uh, from music ever of all time uh, that you would like to compose a soundtrack for your life. <sighs> it's never before heard music that for you it's going to click when you hear it. Like, yes, this is this is this this is the music that represents the feel of my days. Yeah. I that is a wonderful question. Um, I think the first answer has to be Billy Joel, hometown hero, back for a third cool. time. Uh, just him singing about uh, you know the Oceanside Diner and North Merrick and uh, you know Southern State Parkway. That that is just that's that's what the inside of my of my skin looks like. Uh, I think that would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, secondly, I'm gonna say Jonathan Larson. Um, you know, again referencing. I, I wish I knew when I was 13 that all the music I listened to would be fully in my head, every word to the lyrics forever. Rent is a shape of me that I cannot let go of as cringy as I find some of the lyrics now. So I think that would be very, very satisfying. And finally, oh, I think I'm going to go with with Maggie Rogers, a more recent fave, moody, wonderful uh, music I love to listen to. Um writing about her life and how flattering to write about mine there you go there you go i love it these are amazing answers okay amanda will you give me a word that you feel helps describe what it is that you like about reality television oh um strategy or strategic depending on what you need nice i'm gonna use strategy that's perfect Will you, in this time, while I am coming up with this very scientific MASH outcome <laughs> that is 100% guaranteed, I would love to uh, give you this time, I'd love to seed you this time to vamp, essentially. I would love to hear, I want you to send people to your work, to work you support Tell everyone where they can find you and all of that good stuff. Incredible. Thank you so much. Well, I am at She's So Mickey on social media, a name I did choose when I was 15, if you were wondering, and have not been able to rerand away from. And Uh you can get a sense of all of the podcasts that I make, and more importantly, that my wonderful colleagues at Multitude make, uh, including Janet was on the first episode ever of Tell Me About It, a madcap game show inspired by British shows like Taskmaster uh, with friend of the pod, Adel Rafai, um, which my husband Eric makes that is absolutely fabulous, talking all about miniatures uh, and murder miniatures. And it was a wild ride. Um, <laughs> it was so fun, as I knew it would be. Have never been in less doubt that I would have fun on a podcast than when I came on that. <laughs> uh, that was amazing. So you can learn about that show and all the shows that Multitude makes, as well as read and watch and listen to the like many, many hours of free resources we have for podcasters and other kinds of digital creators at multitude.productions. We run classes. We have a conference. We've got all kinds of templates and articles. So if you are a person who makes stuff online, we would love to have you. And if you're a person who enjoys podcasts, podcasts, especially podcasts about like, you know, learning and growing up and and being a person and loving stuff while still being critical of it. That's really the, you know, theme that unites all of Multitude's podcasts, whether they're about mythology or space with an actual astrophysicist or uh, Dungeons and Dragons games. That's the main thing. And hey, donate to uh, to Trans Lifeline while you're at it. That would be a really wonderful way to help those in need in the LGBTQ plus community uh, and a resource that I recommend and love to support. Agreed. Love it. I love everything you just said. And I think you're going to love everything I'm about oh, to say. Oh, I can't wait. I feel like pretty good about it. Oh, where do I even want to start? Okay, first of all, I want to congratulate you. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone that in this alternate universe, you are, in fact, a very effective and successful stage manager. (laughs) It's close to home for a reason. You're wonderful. Maybe that's what you that could be where you met Sarah Paulson. It's possible. At any rate, you certainly did. And you certainly have a wonderful thing going with Sarah in this <laughs> alternate universe. No offense, Holland. Some listen, it's the multiverse. There's a lot going on. A lot of things, a lot of doors, a lot of sliding mm-hmm. doors. So you have those fantastic things along with the fact that you have a beautiful apartment in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna be seeing more of your devilish little mm-hmm. sister and her mm-hmm. pit bull which is very cool. You also have the ability to go visit and watch Cleopatra's parade and smell those 
beautiful sense. Uh, be transported. Understand right along with her the power of smell and how evocative it is and how uh, transformative that can be. I think that's going to be very, very pleasurable for you. I'm very excited for you to see that with your own eyes. Like, that's the kind of thing that changes someone forever in Thank a great you. way. And lest you think I'm intellectual, um, we spend a lot of time on spirits talking about whether ghosts can haunt you only by smell and what ghosts would smell like. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's 360 over here, people. It's, you know, we, we contain multitudes. I love it. Just think about it. Wouldn't wouldn't smelling a ghost smell be the scariest way to get haunted? I, I'm very convinced on this. You can hit, you have a ghost. I think that's about well, people and people experience it, and yeah. it seems like crazy yeah. making. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you can go into the Golden Compass, His Dark Materials, uh, that that series of books, whenever you want to. So that's a, there's a lot of traveling and adventure that you're going to be able to have uh, all along with your regular life to the soundtrack created for you by the moody and wonderful Maggie Rogers, who's taking a break from writing about herself to write about you. You're giving her a lot to work with, (laughs) so I think she's going to be very satisfied. She's going to be some of her best work. Uh, In all of these travels, you have access to totally sustainable, ecologically sound, uh, humane beef eating, whatever shape that that takes. And, And I don't know. Listen, some of this stuff seems like I can see you taking some of the pottery that you make during your weekend workshop with yeah. Keith to some of these places and um, maybe doing even a little bartering. Ooh, love a barter. I'd love to see you take a beautiful ceramic pot uh, to Cleopatra's Times and walk away with a golden asp. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, or a flower that like wilts immediately <laughs> upon getting home. Correct. That's how it would work. That's definitely how it would work. That is your very diverse, very fascinating, very exciting mash uh, alternate universe, future life. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been a complete and total blast, as I knew it would be. And everybody, you have a lot of great stuff that you can check out if you're not already familiar with uh, some of the things that, that Amanda was talking about. Please go subscribe, listen, appreciate, donate, all that good stuff. And um, I will talk to you all next time on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Janet. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember one we could save kittens from trees. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.